Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. Church, we are in the midst of celebrating Advent here at Salem Alliance Church, and this is the third week of Advent. Hard to believe it's already the third week, but we're in the midst of a series called This Changes Everything. This Changes Everything. And we've looked at how this changes everything, how we move from despair to hope, how this changes everything, how we, be, we move from being far to God, the Creator, to near. And today we're looking at how this changes everything and how we move from darkness into light. I don't know if you are a lover of poetry. I uh, enjoy some poetry. I'm not as much of a poet as my wife might be in enjoying the poets of the day. But one poet that I'm familiar with is a man named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He's a Bostonian, so I have an incredible appreciation for the man. But he wrote in the mid-1800s. And you may be familiar with some of his poetry. But Longfellow went through an incredibly dark season in his life. He went through a season, uh, he was well-known, well-to-do, a man of influence, but he had six kids, and his wife was in the, the room of his five daughters one day when she was changing out the candles, and one of the candles fell on her dress, and it lit on fire. And quickly, she wanted to get out of the room to protect the daughters, and so she ran into the study where her husband, Longfellow, the poet, was writing, and he quickly jumped up, and he grabbed the carpet, and he rolled the carpet around her, and he tried to extinguish the flames. And that didn't do it. And so he put his own body on her to put out the flames. But it didn't work. And his wife was burned. And she, she passed away a day later. And Longfellow himself experienced incredible burns because of that, that act. And even on his face, he had burns. And that put him into a pretty dark season where he, was, he didn't really like to go in public because of the scars of the burns on his face. But what really messed with him is, is about a year and a half later, his oldest son, his only son, decided that he felt called and compelled to go and fight in the Civil War. And so without telling his father, he boarded a train to D.C. and he headed down to join the Massachusetts Artillery. And he got there and the captain said, you can't join, you're too young unless you have a note from your father. And so the captain sent a letter to his father, the poet. And Longfellow reluctantly agreed and sent a note back saying, yes, if my son feels he really needs to do this, he has my permission. And it wasn't only a few months later when his son took a bullet, took a bullet that left him paralyzed. And it was that act when, when Henry, when he went down and, and went and waited in the operating room and received the word that his only son, his oldest son, was now going to be paralyzed for life, that he entered into an incredible season of darkness. He did not write a single poem for the next year and a half. He remained silent. He entered a time of incredible just darkness and silence. And it wasn't until 1863 that this 57-year-old widowed father of six with an oldest son paralyzed because of a country that was at war with itself finally broke that silence and wrote a poem seeking to capture that tension that existed of his own reality and the darkness of the world around him and this faith that he was trying to cling to. As his biographer wrote about him, he heard the Christmas bells on that Christmas December day in the singing of peace on earth. But he observed the world of injustice and violence that seemed to mock the truthfulness of this optimistic outlook. The theme of listening recurred throughout the poem, eventually leading to a settledness of confident hope, even in the midst of bleak despair. The poem, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, 
was penned by Longfellow out of his own personal pain and attempts to stick with the hope. It was put to music years later and became the well-known carol that we've already sung this morning. But with that understanding of the author's pain and the hope that he clung to, take a look again at these two stanzas. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The song demonstrates the tension that we live in. The tension of darkness and the mixed with this hope and light. Advent is a season where we acknowledge that tension. Advent is a time that reminds us that Jesus came to a dark world. You see, church, to understand the power of Christmas Day, this burst of hope and joy and peace and love and these candles that we light, to understand that burst of it properly, we need to also sit in the reality of the darkness that was and to a lesser extent is even now. We must be willing to address it. See, the church has historically done this really well. The church has a calendar that really pushes the concept of Advent and then moves on into celebrating Christmas beyond that for 12 days after. In the Middle Ages, the church would often light the candles of Advent, but the candles of Advent looked really different than what we lit this morning. See, Advent, while it does focus on the incarnation and the concept of God becoming man, it more so focuses on the second coming of Christ. And when we focus on the second coming of Christ, as those in the Middle Ages and even some in churches today understand, the candles had different names. The candle of death. The candle of judgment. The candles of hell and heaven. Church, we don't like to reflect on this. But Advent, in its purpose, is there for us to reflect on the second coming. It's there for us to sit in the darkness so that we can truly understand how magnificent the light that has come is. As one theologian bluntly puts it, Advent awaits the apocalypse. Today, my goal isn't to mess with your Christmas cheer, though I'm afraid I'm probably doing that and going to continue to do that on a pretty intense level. But I think that we need to go there. And today, I promise we're going to end celebrating the light, but I believe that we need to reflect on some of the traditions and the history and the calendar creep that has taken place in the church. We need to take a few minutes and sit in the darkness so that we can celebrate the light that has come. You see, I don't know about you, but I'm perfectly fine with the way we do Christmas around here. I'm perfectly fine with the way we do the Christmas season here in the U.S. See, we eat our turkey when the turkey gets cold, Christmas celebration begins, Christmas and Advent are the same, one in the same. At least that's how I grew up. It's a pretty awesome thing. We start celebrating Emmanuel, God with us, on soon as turkey's cold. We start celebrating that. And it goes all the way until Christmas Day, which is the culmination of this incredible celebration. And then the 26th is the depressing day for kids as we wait. Oh, my gosh, we have to wait a whole nother year before we get more gifts, right? 
But the way we do that is just a little off. In my years in living in the Middle East, I was, I was exposed to these different traditions. You see, in the Middle East, the Christian population is really tiny. It's really tiny. And because of that, the Christians don't let some of the differences of the way they celebrate or theological differences necessarily separate them. And this is seen really during the season of Advent and Christmas. You see, there, the, the Greek Orthodox will celebrate with the Roman Catholic, and the Anglican will celebrate with the Evangelical, and the Orthodox will celebrate with the Coptic, and they come together during the Christmas season. And what I realized in my time there is that Advent is Advent, and Christmas is Christmas, and they are not synonymous. As I, as I witnessed these different celebrations, and I, I got to go to these, I realized that I was ignorant to some of these. In, in fact, we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, yet our Coptic brothers and sisters are going to celebrate Christmas on January 6th. You see, there are these differences, and there's some richness when we look at some of these differences. But all this to simply say... I realize that Christmas and Advent aren't synonymous. Advent is the season leading up to Christmas. It points us towards the second coming. It recognizes the incarnation and that the light is coming back. But sometimes Advent isn't as joyful as we want it to be. Sometimes it's not all about spreading Christmas cheer by singing loud for all to hear. Thank you. Some people finally got that reference. <laughs> Best service. I find it all fascinating. G.K. Chesterton, he did not mince words when he said this. There is no more dangerous or disgusting habit than that of celebrating Christmas before it comes. I think he's a little intense. <laughs> However, he does have a point. In order to fully comprehend what happens on Christmas Day, we have to contemplate Advent. We have to sit in the heaviness, the seriousness and reality of this present darkness that Christ steps into. Jesus entered into a dark world, and we have to wrestle with the reality of the second coming, the judgment and the hope that accompany it. In many ways, it's like our tradition around here on Good Friday. We leave the Good Friday service in silence and in darkness so that we can properly celebrate the glorious time of Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. I love what the theologian Fleming Rutledge says about it. She says, does Advent run backwards? The movement is from the second coming to the first coming. It doesn't seem to make sense. This season begins with the last things, these four words, and it ends with the nativity in Bethlehem. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Not really. The rhythm of the church's seasons turned out to be theologically profound. If we began with the nativity and then moved to the last judgment, we would be so softened up by that little baby in the manger that we wouldn't be able to take the second coming of Christ seriously. The solemn nature and awe do not lie in the fact that a baby becomes the eternal judge. Listen to this. What strikes us to the heart is this. The eternal judge, very God of very God, creator of the worlds, the Alpha and Omega, has become himself that little baby. And so today, church, on this third Sunday of Advent, we look at the passage of, first, of John 1 that concentrates on John the Baptist and points us from darkness to light. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to page 881, John 1. We'll be looking at John 1, verses 1 to 18. It's found on page 881. 
It's quite fascinating to me that each of the Gospels has the story of John preparing the way for the Messiah. Each one of them. And the story of John the Baptist starts off as quite a beautiful thing. I love Luke's account. Luke's account, we see his father, Zechariah, in the temple, and the angel visits him and says, hey, your wife, your wife, far along in age, she's actually going to have a child, and he has this disbelief and this astonishment, and the angel says, you're not going to talk now until the birthing ceremony. And then at the birthing ceremony, it happens, and he's able to praise God again. And there's this beautiful, just prophetic word that happens there. And then we see the angel visit mother, the mother of Christ, Mary. And she visits him and she says, hey, your, your, your cousin Elizabeth is also a child. And I can just picture Mary running to her house with this divine, this divine knowledge of what has not yet been made public, that Elizabeth is also with child. And I love the picture of her walking in there, spirit-filled, probably racing in there. And Elizabeth realizing she now has someone to be able to share this with that will get it and believe believe it. And these two spirit-filled moms and the, the babies in the womb, John the Baptist and Jesus leaping with joy because of what is about to unfold. And I love the story. But this, the beauty of the story begins to kind of fade as John the Baptist begins his ministry because he has this single-minded focus. He has been called as an awkward prophet to preach a message of repentance, to declare that the light is coming. And it's not an easy call. And John doesn't fit into this story very, very comfortably in a, in a nice, peaceful manner. You see, John is chaotic. He's awkward. It's kind of just bizarre. He's this guy that he speaks with a language that is intense. His calling, his appearance are not really what the culture would want to receive. And his message is totally uncomfortable. His message is one of repentance and judgment and wrath. To catch a glimpse of really who he is and his personality and calling, consider these crowds of people that would leave the city of Jerusalem and walk quite a distance down to the Jordan Valley, down to the Jordan River, to see him and to hear this man they had heard about preach in hopes that maybe they could be baptized. These people that come, ready. He is not exactly the most politically correct person when he speaks to them. He says, you brood of vipers, who told you about the coming wrath and how to flee it? I kind of love this guy, and I'm kind of scared of him. And as I've just studied him more and more and read his words and the prophecies about him this week, I become more convinced of his purpose and his place in the Advent story. And because of that, I'm not sending Christmas cards this year. I'm sending Advent cards. And here's a preview of my Advent card. <laughs> I mean, the guy is intense. He is intense. And so let's read here in John 1. And as we do, would you look at the tension between the light in the darkness. John 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is the word of the Lord. Today, as we realize that Jesus entered into the darkness, and as we prepare for Christmas Day, we need to observe some things about our present situation. The first is this. We live in the time between the age where light and darkness stand in tension. Jesus entered a dark world, and that world is still dark. For many, December is not the happiest time of the year. For many of you, it's, it's a tough season. It's a season where you don't like to necessarily be around these that are just finding incredible joy and peace because it's bringing up tragedy or hardship that has happened around this season in your past. If that's you, can I just say Advent was created for you? I don't think I need to spend much time convincing you of this present darkness. Just in this week alone, we saw a gunman open fire at a church in Brazil, and we saw a gunman open fire on a Christmas market in Germany. Our world is dark. Homelessness has hit such levels here in the U.S. that Sesame Street has added a new character to help our young understand the issue and help homeless youth that watch the show wrestle with the agony and the trauma of losing their own home or apartment. Addiction, it's hit such levels that our expectancy rate, life expectancy rate in this country has dropped for a second year in a row. Here in our own community, we ourselves have faced some difficulties. We have grieved through some very difficult and intense funerals the last two weeks. Church, I want to believe the lyrics of Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. But church, let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. I'm not buying it. The thing is, they aren't. Our troubles aren't miles away. And Advent is there so that we can ponder, so we can sit in it. The darkness and the feelings are there. They're just under the surface for many of us. And we're using the cookies and the shopping and the music to keep them at an arm's length so we don't have to deal with them. But Advent is acknowledging that a God came to enter this dark world and he brought peace and hope and love and he's our wonderful counselor. And we can expose those things during this season. And at the same time, we realize that we still remain in this tension of being, realizing that hope, but not fully. Realizing that peace, but not fully. See, we live in this time in between, between Christ, Emmanuel, born in a manger, and the second coming. Paul in Galatians calls it this present evil age. John announces the old age of corruption and death are done, and the end is coming but it has not yet come. 
which is why in Advent we look forward to the second coming of Christ. The signs of judgment and sin are everywhere. War, racism, hatred, violence, famine, and gluttony. The evil one is having his way. And yet at the same time, our world has been visited with a promise of hope. The promise that God, even when he seems absent from our situations, has not forgotten us, and he will not leave his creation in this current state, in this posture of tension. We are currently the church of the resurrected Lord, but the day is coming when we will be the church of the one who returned, the one who brought renewal and set up the new heaven and the new earth. And church, Advent is the season where we cry out, how long, O Lord, how long? It's that exact groan. It's that cry. How long, O Lord, how long? That anticipation of his second coming, that is the purpose of Advent. The purpose of Advent is to allow the darkness to create anticipation. To allow the darkness to create anticipation. Anticipation for his return, not just for Christmas Day. Anticipation for a longing of him to come and make things right again the way they were intended to be before sin entered. The light has come and it is coming again, yet the reality is darkness is still very much present. When we sit in that and when we think about the second coming and his return, for many of us, anticipation is not what rises up. Anxiety is what rises up. Fear is what rises up. As I let lit these candles today and said those words, even in my own heart, I experienced some of that, and I'm sure you did too. But church, how do we move to that posture of anticipatory living? We need to figure out how to practically do this so that I don't just mess up your Christmas, I make your Christmas better. See, if we can learn how to do this, if we can learn in a way that we can practically live with anticipation, Christmas celebration will be incredible. Brian talked about this two weeks ago, and he said we need to develop an energetic expectation. Steve talked to us last week about creating moments of reconciliation, and we know that was part of John's preaching. His preaching was one of reconciliation, turning the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Reconciliation is part of anticipatory living. Advent is the time where we ponder John the Baptist and we realize that his clear message, repent, the kingdom of God is near, was not just to prepare people for the first coming of Christ, but still is for us today as we prepare for the second coming of Christ. That concept of repentance, metanoia, it means in Greek, to reorient yourself in a new direction, to turn around. One way that we can do that and develop anticipation for the second coming is to develop a rhythm of repentance, to bring what is dark in our lives into the light. You see, we don't talk about this a lot. Partly, I think the reason we don't talk about it a lot is because we, we don't have a concept of what that means. What it means to receive spirit conviction in turn. You see, we think that conviction is the same as condemnation. And I think because many of us have experienced condemnation, which is the enemy saying, you stink, you're not good enough, you messed up, have some guilt, have some shame, which pushes us from God. We don't 
take a chance and let spirit in his soft, peaceful voice speak conviction to us. Because conviction is from the spirit and it is gentle and it doesn't bring shame. It brings a gentle fatherly love and correction. And spirit's work doesn't stop when we're convicted. He gives us the power to turn from it. And we don't have to muster up our own strength to turn from it and repent. But I'm afraid that oftentimes our fear of hearing a condemning voice keeps us and avoids these rhythms of repentance altogether. But church, we need rhythms of repentances. We need to bring things that are in the dark into the light and find freedom. We also see a command to live with anticipation by releasing peace. We see John speak of this. We also see Paul speak of it in 2 Peter 3. He says, while you are waiting for these things to happen, for the return to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives. We see the darkness around us, but we understand that we are lights that bring peace wherever we step, and that is part of our calling. We don't hide ourselves away waiting for the second coming. We go out into that tension, to the war and the tension of light and dark, and we bring light everywhere we step. It's why we have a vision to see our city become a city at peace with God and recapture the name that it was given. We do this as individuals, and we are called to do this as a church, to release peace wherever we go. Rutledge, the theologian, writes this about it. We make ready for him this Advent season and every season by lighting whatever little lights the Lord has put in front of us. No light too small to be used by him. Action in waiting, pointing ahead, looking to Christ and for Christ. Even our smallest lights will be signs in this world, lights to show the way. May we be a people that look forward to a second coming and hurry it along. Church, Advent is preparing for Christmas, which is coming soon. But it's preparing by looking at the second coming. But what I love about the words that we read today is we know we do not remain in the darkness. We do not remain there. Luke 1 says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us in the path of peace. Focus on the light and take hope. The darkness has not and will not overcome it. The future is bright. The light has come. Church, we get to celebrate that the light has come. A thrill of hope. We, the weary world, rejoice. The light of the world is and will lead us out of darkness. As Isaiah declared, as we read earlier, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I get Mighty God, I get Everlasting Father, I get Prince of Peace, but Wonderful Counselor is what sticks out to me. Because when we walk in the Advent, we cannot forget that he comes, and he is our Wonderful Counselor. He will rule with fairness and justice. Amen. The light has come and is coming again. Celebrate the light. Christmas ushers in the season of light, and we celebrate with lights. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas candles. Not really these ones, but I love those ones. 
I love the lights that we hang on our trees and our yards. I love the luminaries. I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of them here on the West Coast, but growing up in New Jersey, our street would look like this. Every Christmas Eve, every family would light their sidewalks up to their doors in anticipation of the coming Messiah, recognizing that he is coming. Can I encourage you, this Advent, this Christmas, pause and take in the power of the lights around you. Don't take them for granted. The light has come. Reflect on the power that the smallest light has in darkness. Second thing I encourage you to do, I hope you take the challenge to sit in some of the uncomfortable darkness of the Advent. But if you embrace that, Would you also consider embracing properly the celebration that Emmanuel, God has come, the light has come. Don't stop celebrating Christmas on Christmas Day. Extend the celebration, right? Who's for extending the celebration? That's an easier sell than this, right? Embrace the 12 days of Christmas. You see, on December 21st, Christmas Day, according to the church calendar, it ushers in a longer celebration of Christmas of the incarnation, of God becoming man. You see, we think that the 12 days of Christmas is this awful song with these gifts that we do not understand, but it's not. It's this incredible celebration with these different days and these feasts and these different things that we can recognize about God. Can I encourage you to embrace some of those? December 26th is Boxing Day, the Feast of Stephen. Stephen was the early church father that was known for kind of helping the church bring the gifts and care for the materially poor in the community. Can I encourage you on December 26th, instead of waiting in the long lines to return the gift that you really can't believe they got you, or going to pick up the proper size batteries for that toy you bought your kid, would you consider getting together with people and serving those in our city? Would you consider having people over for a meal? and praying peace into and over our city. If that's not your deal, go ahead, celebrate January 6th, Epiphany. Celebrate the Three Kings Day. What an incredible day. It's the 12th night. It's the ending of the celebration. Celebrate, throw a feast, have people over and recognize that we have been called to realize that he came and he has empowered us to bring light to the world. Another way that you could celebrate that is by chalking the door. Has anybody heard of chalking the door? This is an interesting concept. Not many people have heard it, but they do it in different parts of the world. And simply, you take chalk and you write on your door. That's why it's called chalking the door. And you write, you write 2,000 or 20 CMB 19. This picture is from last year. Couldn't find any from this year because it hasn't happened yet. And you put crosses either between the C, the M, or the B, or at the ends. Consider just you starting this simple practice in your family. See, the C, the M, the B, for Three Kings Day, those are the initials of what we think the names were of the wise men. But also it stands for, in Latin, it stands for, may Christ bless this house. Why not start? Why not start the new year? End the Christmas celebration by blessing your house, praying through it, and declaring that blessing over you. What a powerful tradition. Consider maybe going and doing that with some of your neighbors. Maybe ask them before you chalk their door. It'll go better. (laughs) But when your neighbors ask you, what is that? What an opportunity to share and invite to bless their house as well. Maybe these things don't work for you. Use your creativity. Extend the celebration. Extend the celebration because Emmanuel came.
As we close today, church, understand that Jesus entered the darkness. He entered a world of brokenness to pursue you, to pursue me, to pursue us. It was not the garden. It was not a fairy tale place that he entered. His entrance magnified this. He was born in a manger because there was no room. He had to flee shortly after because of a crazy king's fear of losing power. He was and is light, yet he lived in tension, a tension that we now reside in ourselves. Let darkness spur anticipation of his return. Let it spur that anticipation. Let your light shine in the present age and release peace wherever you step, wherever you go. And don't forget, the future is bright. Let peace and hope arise. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are the giver of peace. You are the giver of hope. You understand what we live in now because you came and you resided in it. We declare that is true. So we thank you for coming as a helpless baby. What a gift that is. And Lord, in this Advent season, would you give us the courage and the confidence to walk in the realities that are. Lord, as people in this room let those feelings arise, I declare that you are the counselor, you are the comforter, and I pray that you would bring peace to their lives in the here and now. But Lord, we also look forward to your second coming. We look forward to it, and I pray that hope would arise as we look forward to it. Help us to embrace Advent so we can celebrate Christmas in an incredible way, the burst of hope and joy and peace and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.